Welcome to Running for the Roses. I'm Ryan Baffalugas, joined by Lucas Rohde. Uh Lucas, we have reached the culmination of the college football season. Rivalry week is behind us. We are on to championship week. What a week it was. A truly awesome three days of college football. We knew it was. We knew it would be. We talked about it last week, how much we're both looking forward to to this past weekend. And it, it delivered. We got some awesome games. It sets up some really intriguing storylines. We already had our first fan revolt on a coaching hire. So we're just the, the month of November is finishing on such a high note, my friend. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. I was telling you before, a very, very good Thanksgiving uh, weekend. I am a little bit under the weather. I feel like that happens every time you go to visit family for the holidays. Um, at least a handful of people are going to get sick. Um, and that's kind of me right now. But did enjoy, um, so forgive me if I sound a little groggy, but um, uh, definitely enjoyed this weekend's set of games. Um, rivalry week never usually disappoints. And I think this was one of the better rivalry weeks we've had in the last few years. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll touch on it here in a few minutes. The classic down in Jordan Hare. seems like every Auburn Alabama game in Jordan Hare is just nuts. I mean, from the game two years ago where Alabama had a 99 yard drive sent to overtime <laughs> to the, uh, the miracle fourth and fourth and goal play from this past week. Um, I mean, it's it's just really fun. Florida, Florida State was pretty entertaining. Iowa, Nebraska, under hit again. Surprisingly, Wisconsin got the axe back. <laughs> Arizona State was a competitive. So lots to get to. Um, I'll just kind of gloss over that, that that last one. Lot, lots to get to here. We'll start with our weekly roses here, celebrating the best of the weekend. And I, I'm going to give mine – listen, we're going to touch on a lot of teams that – we're in very meaningful games both this week and last week, but I'm going to touch on a team. We've talked about them before, uh, and I'm going to touch on the Missouri Tigers and give my rose to Eli Drinkowicz. They defeated Arkansas 48-14 to on Friday to get their 10th win of the season, 10-2. and The only losses coming at home to LSU by 10, and then on the road to Georgia by 9. Probably gave Georgia the best run of any team in the SEC uh, this past year. Really impressed with Eli Drinkowicz in year four, a guy that I think entered this season. I don't know if he was on the hot seat, but it just felt like that program was, mm-hmm. you kind of knew what you were going to get, right? They're going to be a six or seven win team. They're going to be, you know, fourth or fifth in that division. You thought maybe South Carolina was on the rise. You thought Florida was on the rise, Tennessee last year. And here comes Missouri, right? Finishing six and two in conference. They have a nice win over um, Kansas State in the non-con. They have... They beat Tennessee, they beat Florida, they beat Kentucky, they beat South Carolina, beat everyone they should. Only losses at home to LSU in a really competitive one, and then at Georgia. So Eli Drinkowicz, listen, I'm sure he's going to be handsomely rewarded with a contract extension. We'll talk about coaching stuff here in a little bit. Um, But really impressive. We talked about Cody Schrader. I think he got your rose a few weeks ago. But Missouri is just really impressive offensively. Brady Cook, uh, Luther Burden III. Cody Schrader, who they got from like a D2 school. Uh, really impressed with Eli Drinkowicz being able to kind of pull this out in year four, get to 10 wins. And, and I think they're the third best team in the SEC and in prime position to make a New Year's Six Bowl. So give me uh, my rose going to Eli Drinkowicz and the Missouri Tigers. No, I like that one. Like you said, just a huge step forward for them in year four. You mentioned, is he going to get a contract extension? I do believe he got one right before the season. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Talk about that. <laughs> Doesn't matter. 
<laughs> I don't remember when he got oh, one. He might, I think he got one at the middle of last season, actually, because I think we talked about him with our coaches, like getting recent extensions a few, a few like a handful of episodes ago. <laughs> so I remember right prior to the season, he had it. He had taken them, I think, to three straight bowl games, but had yet to yeah. have a winning season at Mizzou. If that's if I'm reading that, but no. Really, really great job by them. I thought last year the defense really kind of held them together. Um, but like you mentioned, um, just a plethora of weapons that they've been able to develop there on the offensive side of the ball. And and I think a big year for them, especially next year, you're moving into a divisionless format. I think it was a big year um, for Mizzou to kind of stake their ground that they're still going to be a pretty darn good program, I think, um, even with the additions of Texas and Oklahoma there in the SEC. Um, meanwhile, I'm going to give my rose to a game that happened in Mizzou's former conference in the Big 12 in the, in the annual Farmageddon game between Iowa State and Kansas State. Um, Ryan, we were talking about before the game how aesthetically pleasing a, snow, a good snow game is on, on TV. And this wasn't just like a dusting. I mean, this was where they were having to rake or uh, shovel snow off the field in order to see the numbers. And typically you wouldn't expect such a high scoring affair, but this game was, was nuts. 42 to 35 between Iowa state and Kansas state, Iowa state getting the win Uh, with my rose going uh, to the running back of Usama, the third, he had 276 yards and 16 carries average 17.3 yards per carry. Um, Iowa state scored 42 points. They ran 35 total plays on offense. Um, Kansas state ran over a hundred. Um, it was just because every time Iowa State got the ball, they were basically they were averaging <coughs> well over 10 yards per play, just ridiculous efficiency offensively. And um, and Abu Salman was a huge part of that. But we were talking about kind of how Eli Drinkowitz finally got that Mizzou offense going from last year. I'm really, really impressed with how Iowa State grew offensively from just the beginning of this year. Remember, this is a team that couldn't put up over seven points against Ohio, a good MAC team, but still could not put up over seven points against a MAC opponent. Um, Rocco Beck looks like he's going to be uh, another really good running back or a good quarterback at Iowa State, and Abu Sama looks like he's going to continue the list of, um, you know, continue the line of really good running backs to come out of AMs. You know, with Brees Hall leaving, you know, David David Montgomery prior to before him and always someone looks like to kind of fit that mold and a good turnaround after a really slow start. I think they started off one and three finished off the year seven and five. They're going bowling after missing a bowl game last season, six and three, a, a really nice record in the big 12. Um, and yeah, once again, just kind of highlighting a, a really nice mid season turnaround and really for Matt Campbell, we were talking about the beginning of the year is his stock maybe down from what it was, did he, maybe he stayed too long at Iowa State. And I think all this just reassured is he still has something really, really nice going there. Um, and they should be, I mean, they're going to, they should be able to make an impact, I think, next year, as long as they can keep all of those players um, going into next season. I think they could be one of the a top-tier Big 12 team uh, next season. The box score for this game is just absolutely bonkers. So Rocco backs 8 of 12, 230 yards, three touchdowns. These were Iowa State's scoring plays in this game. Abu Sama, 71-yard touchdown run. Abu Sama, 77-yard touchdown run. Jalen Knoll, 79-yard pass from Rocco Becht. Abu Sama, 60-yard touchdown run. 
Jaden Higgins, 33-yard pass from Rocco Beck. Man, Iowa State actually drove the field that one. Jalen Knoll, 82-yard pass from Rocco Beck. Iowa State had 488 yards. They had 10 first downs and held the ball for 17 minutes and 48 seconds. That is an absolutely bonkers, bonkers game. I was watching that game here and there. I kind of had it on with, with um, I forget, uh, I think it was the uh, the ABC game. It was the Florida-Florida State game and then, and then catching a little bit of the Cal-UCLA game on Saturday. And I was flipping back and forth. One, because the snow game is awesome. You don't get a lot of those in college football because yeah. it's a little bit not too early for snow as you know, you in, in Wisconsin can probably attest, but usually we see that more in the NFL in like December and in January. Um, it was fun to watch. And I, I kept turning back and Iowa State kept having more points, but I would never see him on offense. And now I know why. So, <laughs> uh, good stuff. Yeah. Seven and five for Iowa State. They finished tied for third in the big 12 at six and three uh, with Kansas State, who finished eight and four and West Virginia who finished eight and four kudos to Neil Brown mm-hmm. for staying off the hot seat. West Virginia won eight games this year. All right. We're going to do a little rivalry week recap. I've been practicing saying that before we press record. I think I nailed it. Uh, we'll go through some of the big games from this past weekend. We'll touch on some coaching stuff, Texas A&M, Mississippi state finding their head coach. And then we'll end it with a little preview of uh, championship week. It's sh- I should note Lucas a little under the weather. This is like his flu pod. So we are, uh, if you, if you hear some coughing, that is, uh, that is why as he kind of recovers from his, his weekend in, uh, in Wisconsin, uh, Lucas, let's go to the big 10 country. Let's talk about the big game, Michigan and Ohio state for the third time in a row, Michigan beats its main rival, a 30 to 24 win in the big house, Lucas, the Ohio state senior class. However, many of them are left at this point will have gone four years without beating Michigan. The 2020 game was canceled due to COVID and Michigan's won the last three years. Um, you watched, I think a little bit more of this game than I did. I was kind of flipping around the quad box. We're focusing on some bets and some other stuff here in addition to watching this one, but just feels like every other Michigan game. I mean, it feels like they're so fundamentally sound. They're so physical. They're so tough. You look at the numbers, like Ohio State had more total yards than Michigan. They had more first downs than Michigan. But Michigan controlled the ball. They had over 33 minutes of time possession. And the two Kyle McCord interceptions, right? The first one that I think set up Michigan on a short field to get them in the end zone, and then the one at the end of the game. Uh, Michigan didn't have one of the running backs go over 100 yards. Um, Marvin Harrison had five catches for a buck 18 and a touchdown. But it just seems like Michigan, they just have, they just always find ways to make the plays that they need to make to get these big wins. They did it once again on Saturday. Yeah, I think, you know, we were talking about it last week. I think we had asked, what are the kind of the keys to the game? And, you know, I thought whoever could really kind of, really maybe start to dominate the line of scrimmage. And the fact is, is neither one of these teams really did it. Um, yes, they both had over hundred yards rushing, but average just a little under four yards to carry for both teams. Um, and I just think both of these teams were very, very evenly matched. Um, and you talked about it, kind of the biggest difference in that game, I think was that that first initial comma court pick, um, to Will Johnson set up Michigan deep inside Ohio state territory. They scored a few, a uh, few plays later. And that really ended up being the difference in this game. And I think it, like you mentioned, like. Michigan, fundamentally sound. They didn't have any turnovers. 
JJ uh, McCarthy's numbers aren't going to pop out at you. 14 to 20, 148 yards. Did have a touchdown pass, but no picks. And <clears throat> like we mentioned, just when teams are this evenly matched, like I think both these teams were, um, it comes down to who kind of makes the less mistakes. And Michigan was that. And then obviously you had the McCord interception uh, late um, in that game to, to basically clinch the game for Michigan. I give Michigan just a ton of credit um, for obviously the distractions that have happened here, but really turning this, this rivalry around. Um, we saw them kind of the last couple of years kind of beat the brakes off of Ohio State, kind of pull away in the fourth quarter. And this one was a lot more nail biter, and they still didn't flinch um, and were able to, to hold off this game. Um, and, yeah, and if you're Ohio State, this was a very winnable game for you. And unlike where, like, last year kind of got out of hand in the fourth quarter, you had the ball in the final minute of the game uh, in Michigan territory driving and just couldn't get it done. And we kind of, I feel like, have seen this from this Ohio State offense. Just obviously we know Marvin Harrison. He still got his, had 118 yards receiving. But this Ohio State offense just doesn't have that second and third gear like they've had the last few years. Uh, where when you needed a really dynamic and huge play, um, you you had a very good chance of of doing it. And this Ohio State, it's not a bad offense, but <clears throat> it's it's not the elite explosive offense that we've seen. And I think um, that really really hurt them uh, in this game. They just couldn't count on like they like you said, they had more yards. Everything they have they had to be much more methodical this season. Um, which when they were in rhythm, it works. But like we said, it makes them more prone, uh, much bigger margin for error, which when they commit those two turnovers are going to really, really hurt you in the end. What do you, what are your thoughts on common court? Because when we talk about the Ohio state offense, not being explosive, like you, you look at this team on paper, Marvin Harrison might be the number one pick in the draft next year. Emeka Buka is, yeah. would be the number one receiver on basically 130 other teams in the country. Travion Henderson might be the first running back picked in April's draft. You know, I, I know they lost guys like Paris Johnson off the offensive line. I got to imagine their offensive line is going to be pretty good as well. So it's hard for me to pinpoint this other than they downgraded a quarterback. But then I think to the last two years, they had CJ Stroud. Look at what CJ Stroud's doing. I mean, I think about this last year, Lucas, they had CJ Stroud and Marvin Harrison in the game in Columbus and they lost to Michigan. So I don't know. Is it a Ryan Day issue? It feels like some of the blame is is going on Kyle McCord, just being like he's just not great enough. But then I watch JJ McCarthy, and it, it's not like he's prime Trevor Lawrence out here. So no. it's hard for me to pinpoint like what is happening, other than see Michigan's really well coached, they're really fundamentally sound, they're really physical, and they just wear you down. Yeah, I think with McCord, like you mentioned, I don't think McCord's a bad quarterback, like, at all. Um, but like you said, the standard has been set so high at Ohio State. Um, very similar. I think Ohio State's kind of a similar team to uh, to Alabama this year, where uh, the downfield passing, all of that. Now, Ohio State has much better weapons in the passing game than Alabama does. But when it comes to quarterback play, I think – they both have set such a high bar that if the guy's not playing like a top 10 draft pick, we just were like, Oh, well he must be terrible. And I just, like we said, I think what hurt them in this game was those two bad. Obviously the last one was kind of a desperation heave, but that first interception, like I said, I just think 
with them not having that elite quarterback, the your margin of error goes down. And Ohio State, some the last few years, has, could play with a much higher margin of error um, at different sides of the ball, defense, special teams, things like that, um, because they can make up for it. And this year, they just they couldn't. And you, like you mentioned, like it's not like JJ McCarthy's been setting the world on fire. I just think. Michigan's been stronger in other parts of the game. I mean, for God's sakes, he didn't even throw a, a, a pass in the second half against Penn State, and they still won that game. They didn't even throw for 100 yards. So I think it just – overall, I just think Michigan's roster is in slightly better shape. And also you mentioned it too. Like I do think Ohio State's offensive line regressed significantly from last season. Um, like you mentioned, they had you know a f- two to three NFL draft picks on there that aren't there anymore. They were pretty young. You know, they were starting a redshirt freshman at center. And I think that has to has to do a whole thing. But um, but like I said, I think just sometimes in these rivalries, they're very, uh, um, you know, one team's going to dominate like Ohio State has. And you knew Michigan was probably going to turn it around. I just think right now their roster and their program is just in a slightly better shape than Ohio State. I would agree. And listen, Ohio State made the, made the playoff last year. They're 11-1, and one, probably going to go to the Orange Bowl. You know, this year, um, I think a lot of teams would take that. But you really, it feels like if you're an Ohio State fan and you're sitting there, third straight year, you didn't win the Big Ten. Third straight year, you lost to Michigan. Third straight year, you didn't win your division. We'll talk about, maybe a little about Ryan Day later because we got a lot to get to tonight. But inter- the Ryan Day conversation is very fascinating. It's a little bit like the James Franklin discussion. Beat everyone you should. Yeah. Can't win the games you need to. And at some point... <clears throat> The fan base will get tired of that. But that, I think, is a, we could talk about for an hour about, about Ryan Day. Let's move on to Auburn and Alabama. <laughs> Fourth and 31, Lucas. Fourth and goal. Um, I'm, I'm sitting there. It's, it's the afternoon window. I'm watching Arizona State just get absolutely pummeled by Arizona. I'm keeping tabs on Wisconsin, Minnesota. And I'm flipping back and forth between the Iron Bowl. And you're just seeing Auburn hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. And then, you know, I don't know. What it is about Alabama, I don't, I don't want to call them lucky, but you you watch the Auburn player. I mean, you can call them that. Yeah. You can call them that this year. You watch the Auburn player muff the punt, and you're like, well, all right, it's over. What's the live line out at Alabama? What can I bet it at? Um, and then, you know, Alabama, the, the, the snap goes right through Jalen Monroe's hands. He has to fall on it. You're thinking, oh, my God. Fourth down and goal? This is over. Yeah. And then Auburn yes. gives up a 31-yard pass from Jalen Milrow to Isaiah Bond. And it's just – you're speechless. You're sitting there because it didn't even look like it needed to be like a crazy play. Like he was one-on-one coverage. Jalen Milrow threw a perfect ball. And Alabama yes. comes out and wins 27-24 over Auburn. Jalen Monroe, Jalen Milrow was awesome in this game. 259 yards through the air, 107 on the ground, two touchdowns. Uh, led the the kind of fourth quarter comeback drive. And Alabama, you know, after a year of not winning the West last year, when LSU wins it in Brian Kelly's first year, they win the West. They'll face Georgia in the SEC title game. Uh, Lucas, your thoughts on another dramatic Iron Bowl? I'm just looking at the win probability, and Auburn literally went from 99.9%. Somebody I, I, I think took the probability game. of the 2021 game when Bryce Young went 99 yards to win the game to put him in, into overtime and then coupled it with this one when Auburn had fourth and 31, basically. It's like it literally one in a million chance they lose both those games, and they happen to do it. 
It's it's nuts. I mean, this rivalry. It's kind of funny you mentioned it at the beginning of the pod when it's when it's in Auburn. This these these games are insane. When they they're playing Tuscaloosa, Alabama pretty much wins easily. But you kind of had a feeling, especially after Auburn lost the way they did to New Mexico State a week ago, that they were probably going to come out with you know with some emotion, not to end their season on kind of that note. And we saw them play Georgia very very tough. Kind of the same way. They just ran the ball really, really effectively. Once again, did not throw for over 100 yards, um, only 91 yards passing. But it's just brutal. I mean, you, they still committed three turnovers. Alabama outgained them by like 120 yards, and yet they were still right one play away, a fourth and 31. I don't know how you let somebody behind you at all. Like you're literally just playing for the end zone. And I think the other thing that was too, they rushed two people and then they, for some reason they had a spy for Jalen Milrow, right. which I understand if it's, you know, he's only got four or five yards, but like once he breaks the, once he breaks the, the line of scrimmage, everybody can come up. He can no longer throw the ball. So I, and he has, and he has to go 30 yards in order to get a touchdown. I just don't get why you couldn't maybe use that guy as another rusher or to blitz late. Um, but it's been kind of that, that type of year for Alabama. Every time we think they haven't been necessarily the dominant force that they've been, they just find ways to win yeah. every week. And like you mentioned, Jalen Milrow, 259 yards to the air, 107 on the ground. Once again, really, really good. I think he's gotten consistently better as the year has gone on. Um, but and it should make for a relatively interesting, uh, title game, but I think if you're Alabama, you're like, you're just obviously you're happy you won that game, but Auburn, just another missed, missed opportunity this season um, to, to get one on your rival. We had talked about, oh man, Hugh Freeze is going to get one. He's going to get somebody, and he, he, he didn't. Uh, Auburn goes 4 0 in the non conference. They go, I think, 2 and 6 in the SEC, lose to LSU, lose to Bama, lose to Georgia. Played competitively against Bama and competitively against Georgia, mm-hmm. but. You know, if you're an Auburn fan, you gotta be a little a little disappointed with with six and six, considering you were you were six and four, and then you had New Mexico State, and then this game. We'll see. Um, I think Hugh Freeze still has a lot of supporters there, but you know they need to find figure out a quarterback situation, figure out who can get in there and actually get a vertical passing game for that team. Lucas, uh, we'll kind of go back and forth here on some games that caught our eye. I'll touch on Florida State, Florida. Uh, gutsy win for Mike Norvell's team and Florida State on the road in the swamp. Tough environment. Gators jump out to a 12 nothing lead. It's it's not looking good for Florida State. Um, I thought Florida State showed a lot of heart and a lot of fight, kind of clawing their way back into this game. Trey Benson had three rushing touchdowns. Uh, very tough 95 yards for him. This game was kind of a rock fight. Neither team crossed 250 yards. Neither team had 20 first downs. I mean, it was kind of both teams. You had two backup quarterbacks playing. And once again, Lucas, <laughs> Florida finds a way to lose a game. I mean, I've, I was like a third and 15, mm-hmm. and Tate Rodemaker is scrambling out, and he slides down five yards shy of the first down, and two Florida players lunge at him. They get, a, they get an unnecessary roughness targeting call. It extends the drive, and Florida State, I think, either runs the clock out or like <coughs> be able to extend the lead, whatever it was. Um, Billy Napier, five and seven in year two after six and six in year one. Uh, I just saw today they fired two defensive assistants. I think you'll see a lot of upheaval on that staff. Um, 
when I watch Florida, it seems like they find ways to lose. And credit to Florida State for finding ways to win. I mean, they beat Clemson, Florida, and LSU all the way from home this year. I know the ACC wasn't very good. I know that Florida State didn't have to play Louisville or North Carolina. But they're 12-0. and They are favored in the ACC championship game against Louisville, who lost this week to Kentucky to basically eliminate them from the playoff race. Um, so... I was impressed with Florida State. They still think it's a tough place to play rivalry game on the road with the backup quarterback making his first start of the season. Um, the defense dominated like we knew it would, um, but I was impressed with Florida State. Mm-hmm. So you can touch on that game, or, or if you want to touch on something else, feel free. <coughs> no, I think you hit pretty much on it. Like you said, not probably a ton to take take out of that. Obviously, still a little bit worrisome if you're Florida State, just – uh, just, just the, the the injury with Jordan Travis, and just seeing what the offense kind of looks like against not a great uh, defense uh, by Florida, but like you said, they really just had to just get through. It's a rivalry game, just get through, regroup, um, and move on to Louisville this week with a you know a potentially a chance uh, to make the College Football Playoff. But you touched that with Napier. I'm already calling out the the, the bad vibes with uh, with Florida. Um, and the thing is, is like you kind of mentioned, it's just the, the undisciplined stuff, like the unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. We were seeing this stuff at the beginning of the year in their first game against Utah, like having, uh, you know, issues on special teams and bad just penalties. And like, that's just stuff that that's undisciplined, like that's that comes from discipline, that comes from coaching. Like that doesn't take skill to, to kind of clean that stuff up. And, you know, we talked about it at the beginning of the year. Like, if you're Florida, like, at worst, you should be 6-6 six and six and be in a poll team. This team started 5-2, and two and now they're 5-7. and seven. Look, they're not going to fire Napier, but like you said, you're already seeing, you know, some, uh, there's going to be a lot of people on that staff. And like you said, they've already had, like, four or five decommitments from the recruiting class, and most of them have been blue-chip guys. So, um, year three, obviously, this is a big, big offseason. For, uh, for Billy Napier. But um, other uh, one rivalry game I did, I don't know if this is considered a rivalry game, even though it happened during rivalry week. Oklahoma State comes back. They were down 24 to 13 against BYU. Um, they had to win this game to clinch their spot in the Big 12 championship game. Um, and they come back in double overtime. They're finally, a, Ollie Gordon has a two yard run. Um, uh, which turns out to be the game winner. Alan Bowman over 300 yards, 500 total yards plus for Oklahoma State and one despite a couple of pretty bad turnovers. But um, I was talking about vibes with Florida. I, I felt those type of vibes with Oklahoma State this year. And Mike Gundy, maybe one of his better coaching jobs. I mean, this team was kind of left for dead. They're two and two getting blasted by South Alabama at home. And now they're going to the Big 12 championship game. They are heavy underdogs against Texas, but uh, we're able to figure it out during the year with a mixed mosh of, of transfers and, you know, and then finally uh, finding a, a, a godsend in Ollie Gordon, who's just been one of the best players in the country um, here over the last couple of months. So, um, yeah, kudos to Oklahoma State. Um, and interesting to see how they do um, against Texas. Um and then you kind of touched on it, uh, Louisville and Kentucky. Um, nice weekend for Kentucky fans. Seriously, over your rival, your offense might have looked the best it had all season. Um, and you know, you look at it too. You know, Devin Leary had three touchdown passes. 
not only that, then you find out you go from thinking that um, kind of the godfather of your football program, Mark Stoops, might be heading for another SEC job. Turns out he's going to be staying in Lexington and you knock your uh, your main rival out of the playoff race. So uh, nice job there um, uh, uh, by Kentucky um, and what was kind of a shootout game there uh, there in Louisville. Uh, I want to touch on, I think, at least one more game. Iowa defeats Nebraska 13 to 10. The over under, I think, at some point was a 24 and a half. The under hits again. It's a meme at this point. Um, Iowa 10 and 2, absolutely insane. Didn't come anywhere near the 325 points. Fired their OC midway through the season, but didn't fire him. And Matt Rule at Nebraska, listen, I, I'm, I was high on the hire when it happened. And I'm still decently high on him. But, I mean, this is the same stuff we saw with Scott Frost. Nebraska lost seven games this year. They lost their last four, all of them by one possession. They lost to a bad Michigan State team by three points on the road. They lost to a Maryland team 13-10 to 10, that was struggling immensely. They lost to Wisconsin by seven in Madison and then by three at home to Iowa. They finished five and seven. They don't make a bowl game like Florida. Florida's five and two didn't make a bowl game. I mean, you thought, I mean, you you were you were five and three at at Nebraska with Michigan State, Maryland, Iowa, Wisconsin. You thought you could win seven or eight games, you yes. know, in 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 year one. I know they had injuries. I know they were playing their third quarterback at the end of the year, but I think a missed opportunity for Matt Rule for Iowa. They're ten and two. They're like a twenty-four point dog this week against Michigan. Um, it'll be another, I think, instance of you know Big Ten West team coming to Indy getting blown out. Um, but yeah, I mean, kudos to Iowa for getting the win. But Nebraska, man, again, just the Big Ten West was really bad this year, and to finish five and seven with with where you were at a month ago, I think is a bit of a disappointment for them. <coughs> Yeah, because like you said, they're five and three. A lot of really, really good ones. And they were, like you said, they were all in all of those games. I mean, they were up two weeks ago against Wisconsin. They're up 14 to nothing after their first two drives. Only score three points the rest of the game um, and, and end up losing that one. And like you said, it goes from what's looking like a promising building year to uh, you're just kind of looking back to what's happening. I know there's questions on, you know, this offense was not good all year. I know they were, they didn't really have a lot to work with, but I know there's already questioning of Marcus Satterfield and, and hiring him as your offensive coordinator, seeing the job he kind of, or not the great job he did at South Carolina. Um, and on the flip side, Iowa just finds ways to win games. You're just talking about it. Um, kind of the yeah. dichotomy with between like Florida state and Florida is in this one too. You have one team that, constantly finds ways to lose and you have another one that that knows its identity and just finds way to ways to win and I think the most hilarious part is Deacon Hill throwing just that terrible interception late in the game probably helped Iowa because it almost flipped the field for when they could pick off uh Chuba Purdy and got them in great position for that game winning field goal um another 10 win season for Iowa so kudos to them uh and they're I believe it's their second Big Ten West title in the last three years. Yeah, they're going to be a heavy underdog. I don't even know how much they're going to – they might not even score a damn point against Michigan. <laughs> but um, you still have to give them credit where credit is due. It's still hard to win 10 games when you play in a Power 5 league 
and they just seem to do it almost like clockwork at this point. One more game real quick that I want to touch on. NC State won nine games this year. NC State beat North Carolina 39-20 to 20, uh, this past weekend in, in Raleigh. The Wolfpack were 4-3. and three. They won their last five games. This is a team that had Brennan Armstrong be benched for MJ Morris. And then MJ Morris say, actually, I'm going to stop playing football to preserve my redshirt year. They thrust Brandon Armstrong back in the start. Brandon Armstrong, by the way, is their leading rusher on the season. Five over five. Mm-hmm. No NC State running back had more than three hundred yards rushing. Uh, <coughs> like it's just the offensive numbers are insane. Brandon Armstrong. I mean, this NC State had under twenty four hundred yards passing as a team this year. Um, they win their last five games, including Clemson, Miami, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, and North Carolina. Uh, they finished third in the ACC at six and two behind only Louisville and Florida State. Credit to Dave Dorn, man. That guy can coach. I mean, it doesn't matter who's under center, what the players are. They're going to win eight or nine games. I mean, to beat nine and three, to beat North Carolina. I mean, North Carolina is going to have Drake maybe picked in the top five. They were four and four in the ACC. That's pretty wild. North Carolina four and four in the ACC. We'll do a lot of big picture stuff, surprises, disappointments here in the month of December as we kind of recap this year. But that's one that stood out to me when I saw it. I was like, man, NC State won. Oh my god, they won five straight. It's pretty crazy. Maybe the quietest nine win season I think I've ever seen. Crazy, man. Like I, I saw that. I was like, oh my god, they might win. And and the reason why it's big, NC State hasn't won ten games. Since like I think it's like the 1980s, so like they have a chance to have an extremely special season. And it, like you mentioned, it just kind of came out of nowhere. They got strongest year went on. Brennan Armstrong, to his credit, he was I mean he was terrible at the beginning of the season. He had he it was it was good for them to bench him. He was really really good these last couple of weeks and looked like the the Brennan Armstrong that we saw a couple of years ago at Virginia. And then for North Carolina. This is the second year in a row where they have just kind of fallen apart at the end of the season, starting off strong. And then this year they start off seven and zero, and then they lose for their last six games. I mean, their only two wins here in these last six games were was against Campbell an FCS team. And then a Duke team that, you know, was really, really banged up, especially at the quarterback position. And they, it took them, I think overtime in order to beat them. Um, and this defense, which looked improved at the beginning of the year was a sieve once again, like it has been. And like you mentioned, like the top two draft, the top two quarterback draft picks, Caleb Williams and Drake may both of those teams lost four plus games this year. Um, it just seems like it's just almost a waste of talent, um, to have that and, uh, and not be able to do a little bit better than eight and four. Um, and then a team that I think. Kind of like started another team start off the year flat is kind of just limping to the finish line here. Um, Washington in the Apple Cup uh, against Wazoo have to keep a, a game winning field goal uh, to only win by three. Once again, Washington did not look super sharp. This was a game Washington Washington State had chances to put this game away, um, especially late. They had a couple uh, dropped interceptions towards the end of the game. Cam Ward was really good uh, in this one, but. Once again, with me, with Washington, we've seen them kind of limp here at the, really their last half of the season, just kind of getting by. They're still winning, so you still have to give them credit for that. 
but I can see why I think they're a nine point underdog. I think it's, it's, it's up to nine and a half. It's almost 10 half. And I can see why they just, they don't look super clean in what they do. This offense outside of that USC game where everybody scores against USC. So I, I don't think it's, it's that, uh, uh, big of a credit to them put 52 points, but uh, you know, they've scored, you know, only 22 against Oregon state, 24 uh, against Washington state, only 15 against ASU. I am a little bit worrisome, especially with the way Oregon has been playing and look, it's still a fantastic year for Washington, but um, I do think they might be running out of steam just a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, you look at Washington, their last six games of the season. So they beat Oregon in the middle of October. They're 6-0. and Since then, 15-7 went over Arizona State. 42-33 went at Stanford. 52-42 went at USC. They beat Utah by seven, Oregon State by two, and Washington State by three. So they've won one game by double digits, and that was a 10-point win at USC. Um yeah, I would say running out of steam is the is the right word for it. Meanwhile, I just think Oregon's getting better and better. They blow out Oregon State. Yeah. We'll talk about Jonathan Smith here in a, a few minutes when we get to our coaching stuff. But uh, Oregon just takes care of business. They stomped Arizona State two weeks ago in Tempe. They, they beat USC at home. They beat Oregon State at home. They beat Utah and Salt Lake. There's a reason why Oregon's almost a 10-point favorite against Washington. And I think we'll we'll do a couple picks here at the end. I would be tempted to just take the points with Washington, just because I think nine and a half, like ten points, is a lot. But um, I don't think they win the football game. I think Oregon right now is the best team in the Pac-12. I think they'll show it on uh, on Friday. Anything else you want to get to before we we touch on uh, <coughs> before we touch on uh, some coaching stuff? Yeah, I'll just say uh, just quickly touch on a couple games. Um, uh, Texas just absolutely eviscerating Texas Tech. Thought that was impressive, fifty-seven to seven. Um, no look ahead or anything like them for the for the the Big Twelve title game. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, oh, wanted to touch on uh, the Mountain West. So Boise upset Air Force. They were both tied uh, in the Mountain West as well as UNLV. So there was a three-way tie for first. Um, and they had to go to like a BCS styled computer system um, in order to pull the uh, the tiebreaker, which I thought was just uh, very, very funny. <laughs> um, but uh, kudos to, to Boise State, even without their head coach, they will actually they actually won out um, in that computer tiebreaker and they will be playing UNLV, which to me has been one of the more underrated college football stories um, this year under first year head coach Barry Odom. This team hadn't been bowling in over a decade, let alone playing for a conference title. Um, and they are going to be playing for a Mountain West championship next week. Um, and then, uh, yeah, otherwise, outside of that, I do think it was funny as much crap as we give the Big Ten West for its terrible offenses. And it certainly does have that. We had um, two games. Northwestern Illinois was a crazy back and forth game. Uh, each team scored over 40 plus points with backup quarterbacks, <laughs> 45 to 43 Northwestern. I think basically sealed that David Brown will be the big 10 uh, coach of the year. Should. Um, they finished seven and five. Um, and then I just kind of for the old Oaken bucket, Indiana and, uh, and Purdue, 
another kind of shootout type of game, not really expected um, with Purdue getting the win 35 to 31 and ended up being Tom Allen's uh, last game as the head coach of the Hoosiers. But otherwise, besides that, um, not too many other games of note. Um, Illinois will will be a disappointment for me when we do some conference recaps here. Five and seven in this Big Ten in year three under Brett Bielema. You lost to four first-time head coaches in your division. You lost to Purdue with Ryan Walters. You lost to Wisconsin with Luke Fickle. You lost to Northwestern and Dave Braun, and you lost to Nebraska in that rule. I know you lost a lot from the NFL. You had a top five pick at cornerback. You know, you knew, you know, new quarterback. But to go one and five, I think they did in the Big Ten West is is pretty pretty poor. And they they lose to Northwestern. They uh, they lost a big lead to Wisconsin earlier. They they probably could have beaten Iowa and Iowa City. Missed opportunities, but that that's a kind of a bad five and seven for Illinois. And then yeah, so let's talk about the coaching stuff now. Indiana fires Tom Allen. I, we'll we're going to touch on a lot of coaching stuff for the last month. Lucas and I eat this stuff up. I want to focus on two tonight. I want to focus on the two main jobs that have been filled, and that's Texas A and M and Michigan State. Michigan State had a very clean, concise coaching search. They announced, I think, hours after Jonathan Smith left the field in Eugene that he was going to be their head coach. It was rumored, I think, on Friday or Saturday of last weekend and came to fruition. And then kind of the opposite, uh, Texas A&M had a very public search. They thought that they landed on Mark. Mark Stoops was the coach of Texas A&M for about, about four and a half hours. Uh, from about like 11 p.m. Central Time to like 3:30 a.m. Eastern uh, on on Sunday morning, and then the fan base basically revolted, so they settled on Mike Elko. Let's start with A&M Lucas, kind of the juicier one in my opinion. What are your thoughts on, I guess, the process of getting to Mike Elko, and then who they settled on? What are your thoughts on the hire? <clears throat> well, it was so weird. We had. Um... It was funny. I think when we were talking about Texas A&M a couple weeks ago, I, I thought it was going to be a, a name maybe we, we didn't expect just because it seems like every time one of these programs open and they make this splash higher, it's someone we weren't expecting. But Elko was a name that, that wasn't shocking to hear about, obviously, with his history with Texas A&M. Uh, he was the defensive coordinator there before going over to Duke. He's done a really nice job at Duke by just only being in, in two years. But um, I thought Mark Stoops would have been a great hire too, if they would have gotten him. Um, that whole thing was really, really interesting. I was on my phone late at night, just kind of scrolling. I was like, oh, okay, I guess it's Mark Stoops. And then what was it like an hour or two later? It's like, yeah, probably he has backed out of consideration. He sent out his own tweet at like 1am. I honestly think maybe it was probably a combination of maybe and not all of A&M's guys were on board with it. Um, and I think also, too, like, how much were they going to pay Mark Stoops? Mark Stoops is already making over $9 million a year at Kentucky um, with that new extension he signed last year. Did A&M really want – they would have had to probably have paid him more than they were paying Jimbo. And do you think the boosters wanted to have another contract like that, knowing they're still going to be paying this current one off for the next, what, seven or eight years yeah. or have a $20 million payment here due in the next 60 days. So it might've been a combination of that. Mark Stoops might've been like, Hey, if you're going to pay me this money, yeah, I'm there. But I also think Mark Stoops is really, really content. And maybe it was a combination. Maybe he couldn't get the stat. I don't know. I think it was a combination of both A&M and Mark Stoops not being hundred percent on it. And then just decided to back away at the last yeah. moment. 
Um, and I think in the end, I think AM got a guy they wanted. They got a guy that knows Texas AM, knows the culture there, um, knows what works. Had, like we said, had very, they had some of the best defenses in the country when he was uh, when he was over there. And we've seen what he can do at a program that has less resources, less talent, and he still made it work. I mean, Duke won nine games last year. They won seven games this year with a much tougher schedule, and they had terrible injury luck especially at the quarterback position. And um, I think bringing that, I think that's the kind of guy A&M needed. They needed a guy who had experience producing, uh, producing more with less than Jimbo just got plucked from one blue blood and just went to another. Um, I think uh, obviously had some, uh, some negatives to that, but I think this overall, I think it's going to be a, a good hire. I mean, we never know how these things typically work out, but I think everybody's happy. I think this is a good fit for Mike Elko. And I think this is a good fit for, for Texas A&M. Yeah, this is a coaching search. It reminded me a little bit of the Tennessee search from a handful of years ago where they announced Greg Schiano or the report said Greg Schiano and the fan base was like, absolutely not forget that. This felt like a situation where the AD had a guy picked out. It leaked and the board of regents got together and said, we're not going to fire Jimbo Fisher and pay him $76 million to go hire Kentucky's coach, Mark Stoops. It felt like to me, I like you, I think Mark Stoops would have been a great hire. Mark Stoops has two 10 win seasons at Kentucky in 11 years. Texas A&M has one 10 win season in the SEC in 12 years. Texas A&M has to understand what they are. They are not Georgia or Alabama that have these history of national titles. Like we said a few weeks ago, haven't won a national title since before. World War II. World War II, yeah. So it's almost feels like Mark Stoops wasn't a sexy enough hire. Because remember, when this when this started, they were throwing out Dan Campbell. Ryan Day's name was floated out. Just like, I think, Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning, it was like, oh, Dabo Sweeney's on the list. Maybe Dabo's a candidate. And I, it just felt like they weren't going to settle on Kentucky's coach. And... I think the difference between Elko and Stoops is I think with Elko, there is still some sense of what he could be. And I think with Mark Stoops, we know what he is. Mark Stoops is a really good program manager. He'll raise the floor of that ceiling. There'll be a competent, well-run organization. But I think the A&M boosters probably feel like the ceiling isn't there. Whereas if you go hire Mike Elko, yeah, he's inexperienced. Yeah, he's only been a head coach two years. You can try to sell people that, hey, this is our Kirby Smart. Hey, Kirby Smart only had – he had zero years of head coaching experience. Mm-hmm. He took Georgia to new heights. This is our Kirby Smart. Defensive-minded coach, knows the South, like was, was, was you know one of us for four years under Jimbo. You can sell that to your fans a little better than, oh, we just hired Kentucky's coach. He just went seven and five this year. And so – whether what's right or wrong, like we'll see. It didn't work out for Tennessee when they had a mutiny and hired Jeremy Pruitt. Um, and I am usually pretty leery of when a coach makes a huge jump in terms of resources and expectations and fan mm-hmm. commitment and conference and stuff like that. But I think it does help that Mike Elko has went to DC there for four years. I also think part of it is he probably recruited or at least has some relationships with a lot of guys on the roster and Texas A&M will be probably the most popular transfer portal team this year. There are a lot of guys that will be sought after by a lot of schools. And I think the idea is maybe Mike Elko 
can keep a handful of them at least, uh, or at least try to better than Mark Stoops would. Yeah, especially you know some of the bigger names that we're hearing floating, like uh, like Anaya Smith, like Evan, Evan Stewart. Evan Stewart's apparently looking at going to the portal, but even some of those guys in the D line, like Walter Nolan, who was you know a, a huge recruit for them and became a stud this past year. Um, and I do think that pours uh, a lot into it. I, I, like you were kind of mentioning though, I just think it's funny because I think Mike Elko basically to me is just a less experienced and has achieved less than Mark Stoops. Like I think like it's kind of the same lineage. They're both former defensive coordinators that be, went to basketball schools to revitalize their football program. And I think if Elko had stayed at two, I think he would have had very similar success to what Mark Stoops has had at Kentucky. But, um, but I agree with you, like you said, like you can sell, well, look at what he was doing in, at Duke those first couple of years. Now that he has more resources, just think what he can do with us in two to three years and hopefully right. change us around. So like we, I think the biggest thing though is who are they going to hire for coordinators, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I think I saw so he's getting paid, I think, $7 million a year. But his assistant pool is like over $11 million, yeah. which is insane. Um, I don't even think Alabama I – think, I think I was reading Alabama and Georgia's is around $9 million. So they um, are not screwing around. So you want to take that make sure you get someone that's like a great fit because obviously that's been – really their Achilles heel these last couple of years, not being able to develop quarterbacks and not really having a stable offense there to supplement uh, good defenses. All right, let's touch on real quick before we get to championship weekend. Uh, Jonathan Smith to Michigan State. I mean, this is, I think, as good of a coaching search and as good of a result as you can get. This was clean. This was simple. They went out. They got a really good Power 5 coach that has had a lot of success over a multitude of years. Oregon State went, I think, nine and three last year in the regular season. They went nine and three this year in the regular season. Um, I think he's a guy that's proven he can work with quarterbacks. He can play good offense. Has success in a Power Five league. And Michigan State's, I think, a team that I don't really know where they're where they fit in the new Big Ten's pecking order. Whether they're closer to the USC's and Oregon's and Penn State's, or are they closer to the, you know, Maryland? Nebraska, Iowa kind of tier, like whatever it is. Like we, that's a, a conversation for, for a, a different pod. But um, I think it was a smart, sensible hire. And I, you never know with these there. It's a little bit like drafting a quarterback in the NFL. Like the hit rate is 50%, maybe less. I think I'll do a good job there. I think I'll do a good job there. I, I completely agree too. I think Oregon, <coughs> I think, the thing, if you're hopeful with, with if you're Michigan State, right now Michigan State is not a super attractive spot just with all the stuff that has happened even before Mel Tucker got there. Mel Tucker kind of took over a mess after Mark D'Antonio, and now it's almost an even bigger mess. But Jonathan Smith has a lot of experience in doing that because Oregon State was a freaking dumpster fire when he took over that program after Gary Anderson. And look, it was kind of a long rebuild. It took them, what, three, four years before they got back to a bowl game. Um, but he has experience in doing it and doing it at the Power 5 level. And I think at a, a place like Michigan State, you're not going to out-recruit. You can recruit decently, but you're not going to out-recruit Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and now you know USC, Oregon, those type of schools. 
So you need a good guy who is great at talent, uh, at, at talent evaluation, talent development. And Jonathan Smith and, Oregon, and that staff at Oregon State completely proved that. And I think they're going to get back to kind of some of their strengths under the Antonio Air. I think they're going to have, you know, better defenses like Oregon State's had the last couple of years. Oregon State's been really effective at running the football. Um, and, yeah, I think this was a really, really good hire. I feel terrible for Oregon State. I mean, this is a guy that was kind of their, their Harbaugh, their, you know, um, he was kind of their guy. I mean, he played there, coached there, now was the head coach, had kind of brought them back to relevance, had a 10-win season last year, and because of all the outside circumstances, really kind of left, I felt like Jonathan Smith with no choice but to kind of start looking elsewhere because he's basically going to get relegated to becoming a group of five type-ish program there at Oregon State. But um, their loss, I think, is Michigan State's gain. I think this is as good of a hire as they could have expected um, to get in this situation. Um, yeah, you do feel for Oregon State. I mean, that's another job that will open. I'm sure we'll we'll kind of talk about candidates there at some point soon. But um, I don't know if if the Pac-12 doesn't dissolve if he if he still leaves. He probably does. The money's going to be better. You're in a kind of the what people think will be the power two, like whatever. Um, but certainly, you know, the uncertainty around what Oregon State will be in 2024, I think, contributed um, a, a good amount to uh, Jonathan Smith taking that job. All right, let's get to championship week here. Our uh, kind of last week of the college football season. Sad face emoji. Uh, we'll go through the schedule quickly, then a, a quick preview. We'll give you a couple picks, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Friday, December 1st, the Conference USA Championship game in Lynchburg, Virginia. New Mexico State at number 25 Liberty on CBS Sports Network at 7 p.m. Eastern. 8 o'clock Eastern on ABC from Las Vegas, Nevada, Oregon against Washington. The Big 12 Championship game on Saturday at noon on ABC, Oklahoma State at Texas. The MAC Conference Championship game, Miami of Ohio at Toledo. Toledo 11-1, by the way. That's at Ford Field in Michigan. Uh, at uh, at Ford Field in Detroit, noon Eastern on ESPN. Boise State at, against UNLV in Vegas for the Mountain West Championship. Georgia and Alabama, uh, 4 o'clock Eastern on CBS in Atlanta for the CBS Championship. SMU at Tulane for the uh, conference for the American Championship. App State and Troy battle for the Sun Belt. Michigan and Iowa, 8 o'clock Eastern on Fox in Indianapolis for the Big Ten. And then Louisville at Florida State um, in Charlotte, 8 o'clock Eastern on ABC. Lucas, biggest game of the weekend, I think, and and one that might have the most at stake is Georgia and Alabama, because if Alabama beats Georgia, like we've been talking about for the last month, is going to happen. The committee is going to have a really interesting case, depending on what happens elsewhere, but should have a pretty interesting case on 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 the um, the 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 final four. But what are your thoughts on that game, Alabama? I just they're so up and down. They play with their food too much. But Jalen Milrow, I think, will give Georgia some issues. I think he's the, probably the best quarterback that they face this year. Um, what are your thoughts quickly on Alabama and Georgia and kind of the chaos an Alabama win might create? Oh, man. Don't even get me started. That was like maybe my biggest hate when they beat Auburn was like, oh, crap, we're going to go through this uh, all over again. And I even I sent you a, a text uh, or a tweet today, of course, it was Pete Burns from ESPN saying like, 
Um, well, if Georgia loses, they've only outscored all of these teams in the last four games. Are you really not going to say they're one of the top four? And I'm like, he's had this loaded in the pipeline for probably the last like two or three weeks. Um, just waiting to say it. So that narrative is going to grow. Um, and I really hope it doesn't happen. But I think, like you mentioned, it's just going to be the play of Jalen Milrow. I think Jalen Milrow has gotten exceedingly better as the year has gone on. And I think they've done a nice job of just really using one of his biggest strengths, which is his legs. And at the same time, I think Carson Beck has done really, really well uh, this season. You could probably make an argument that he could potentially be a Heisman finalist. Uh, maybe not necessarily the winner, but at least be in that talk to, to end up there in New York. Um, um, especially considering he's playing on the number one team in the country. Um, and But also Georgia, I didn't think looked great last week or this past week against Georgia Tech. Um, that was maybe the closest uh, that rivalry's been in, in some time. You know, the only pull that went out by by eight. But I think it's, yeah, the, the quarterback play, I think, whichever one plays better, I think is going to dictate this game. And just to see if Georgia, we've seen Milrose struggle against more top echelon defenses, if that's going to be uh, the case uh, in this one as well. Yeah, I think this will come down to, like like you said, how can does Georgia contain Jalen Milrow? Because I, I do think – I think Georgia's better, and I, I would pick Georgia to win the game. Um, and I don't – I just don't know if Al, – but granted, Alabama's playing really, really good football. They're playing really, really well since that week two lots of Texas. So that's why this is – it's an intriguing one. Um, another battle of top ten teams is um, – Oregon and Washington, we've touched on this a little bit. Two teams kind of heading in opposite directions. Do you expect a closer game than Vegas here at, at about 10 points? Like, I think this will be a close game. I think it'll be a fun game. I would pick Oregon to win. And I do think the winner of this game, like, this is a quarterfinal. The winner of this game, whatever happens, yes. even if Alabama beats Georgia, winner of this game, a one-loss Pac-12 champion, a conference that's been the best for most of the season, will get in. I think it'll be the Oregon Ducks. Uh, I completely agree too. I think, um, I think it's been like you mentioned, it's the best league in the country all year. And whoever wins this is going to get another top six win to add to their resume for two teams that I believe have already pretty strong resumes to begin with. Um, so, I think the biggest, I think the biggest question here in here is, does Washington have another gear still? Because we, like we were kind of mentioning, it seems like that they've kind of run out of gas. Meanwhile, Oregon has been the complete opposite. They have just demolished just about everybody in their path since these two teams met um, way back in, in October. And I think it comes down to, with, with Oregon, I just think they have the much better defense. Um, they can rush the passer well. They've been much improved since last season, where Washington's defense still has a lot of holes in it. Um, you know, we've seen, you know, Cam Ward take advantage. We saw, you know, USC put up over 40 on them. We saw Stanford put up over 30 points on them. So I think it's really going to come down to, for me, is does Washington have that other gear? And can Oregon continue to play at the pace that they currently are? I will say, though, kind of a weird fact is next year, if these two teams played in a uh, in a conference title game, it would take place in Indianapolis and it would be on CBS in primetime. That's just 
I'm just thinking about that next year. Oh, really? Like, so Fox, those two fans? Fox doesn't have the Big Ten uh, title game ne- next they're, year? They're, they're sharing it, yeah, with CBS and NBC. So I think oh, wow. they, they just – it's kind of like the Super – like, you know, how the Super Bowl does it yeah. with the main networks. They That's kind of how they're doing the Big Ten uh, title game moving forward with those three networks. <sighs> yeah, going to be – I mean, the Oregon and USC fans will travel anywhere. It'll be hilarious if it's like UCLA, Iowa. It's like one random year. <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk about real quick before we get to our picks. The the Armageddon scenario for the committee is this, right? Alabama beats Georgia. So they're both they both they would be both 12 and 1, with Alabama being the SEC champion. Florida State beats Louisville. They're undefeated. They're 13 and 0. Um, Texas beats Oklahoma State, they're 12 and 1, and then Oregon beats Washington or vice versa, whatever it is, right? In that case, you'd have five teams for four spots. You would have Alabama, Georgia, all 12 and 1, Texas 12 and 1, Florida State 13 and 0, and you'd have the winner of the Pac 12 title game, either Washington or Oregon. If that's the case, who would you put out and who do you think would get kept out? I think it would have to be it would have to be Georgia, wouldn't it? You're not I, 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 it, it, to me it should be Georgia. I don't think the committee would I, – I, putting my SEC anti-bias aside, Georgia's resume is pretty good. Like Georgia's resume with a win over Ole Miss, who's 10-2, a win over Missouri, who's 10-2, a win over Tennessee, like the resume is pretty good. You could argue it's better than an undefeated Florida State's resume, although they would have wins over a 9-3 and LSU team, a 10-2 Louisville team. I think the committee would leave out Florida State at thirteen and zero, and they would they would preface it by saying that we take injuries into account, which they've said before. Like we take injuries into account, and if Florida State barely gets by Louisville and wins by one score, they're going to say that you are not one of the four best teams. I'm sorry, and i I think I think Georgia's in no matter what. Just like you know, Ohio State made it last year. With one loss, um, I think Georgia's in no matter what. I think the cleanest situation would be if Georgia wins. Um, now, how about this? Georgia wins, Oregon wins, Louisville wins, and Texas wins. So you'd have Georgia undefeated. You'd have Oregon with one loss. You'd have Texas with one loss. Who's the fourth team? Would it be Washington? Twelve and one. Would it be? Okay, so you have wait. So you have so you have so you have Georgia. So Georgia beats Alabama, so they're in. Yes. Texas beats Oklahoma State, they're in. Oregon beats Washington, so Oregon's twelve and one. Washington's twelve mm-hmm. and one. Louisville beats Florida State, so Louisville wins the ACC. Florida State's twelve yeah. and one. Who's the fourth team? Is it a two-loss Alabama? Wait, wait you're, I think you forgot Michigan. Oh my god, I forgot Michigan. Oh my goodness, I forgot <laughs> Michigan in all of these. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, because you're saying there, the nightmare scenario scenarios. You have six teams. You're right. For four it's even, a, it's yeah. even a worse nightmare scenario. Yes. Michigan's in. Yes. Interesting. Oh my god. Because Michigan, Michigan's not losing to to Iowa. No. Um, so yeah, you would have. So let's say, yeah, if Alabama wins. Um, if Alabama wins and Florida State wins, wins and everything else is chalk, you would have two, two, you had two teams left out. 
Correct. Texas would have a win over Alabama on the road. They both have one loss. But Texas you would never should... – Oh, go ahead. You would never leave the SEC champion out. Like if Alabama wins, they're in. The winner of the SEC title game is in, Correct. right? Uh, so I, if Alabama wins, you, you, theoretically, you'd have to leave out Georgia and one other team. And I don't think you would leave out anyone from the Pac-12. Um, man, this is interesting. You're not going to leave out. Te- you're not going to leave out Texas because Texas beat Alabama. And they have you can't. You can't record. leave out Texas if 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 Alabama wins the SEC. Texas has to be in because they would have beaten Alabama and, on the road. And, and I get the I get the mark against Florida State, and maybe it might not matter because this is the last year. They're doing the fourteen playoffs, so whatever precedent they set is it's not going to be a precedent because they won't have the same scenario. But I've always just felt like, would they, would the committee want to set that precedent of not putting in an undefeated Power Five team? Because like, yeah, like if they win, yes, they have the thing, but they just look. Louisville's going to get knocked for that loss to. Kentucky, but they're probably still going to be what a top fifteen to twenty team. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, top top fifteen at least. Yeah. And you're going to beat them with a backup. Um, maybe they have to get style points, but um, I, I would just find it hard for them to punish a, a team that went undefeated as a power five. But then again, if that happened, this this is this is even more of why you should have a twelve team playoff. Not that we need to get to that discussion, but it is kind of forced scenarios like this where some teams, despite them doing everything that they need to, a power five team, especially, and they still can't get in. Um, yeah, I think I just find that hard, but I do understand the army because I would say if you put them head to head, yeah, I would probably say that Georgia's resume is better because Florida State, what's their best win this year? Is it is it still LSU? Yes. At the beginning of the year. It is. Well, because what's their best ACC win? Is it Clemson? Is it Clemson who's eight and four? I think so. Right? Like you look at Florida State's schedule. Let me let me pull it up here real quick. Like, I mean, they could maybe make an argument. It's Duke, but Duke was Duke. Duke finished seven and five. five the only yeah, team seven and five. Yeah, I mean, this is their ACC schedule: Boston College, Clemson, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Duke, Wake, Pitt, Miami. Like, so my, and my argument for this is the committee will have an easier time justifying it than justifying putting Georgia out. I'm sorry. I just, I, until it happens and I hope I'm wrong until it happens. I think Georgia's in no matter what. I don't think there's any way they leave out a 12 and one Georgia team that won the SEC, Uh, especially if it's a close game to Alabama. I'm just loving the arguments of, well, they had a close loss. It's like, well, Florida State didn't lose to anybody. So I think Florida State should be in. But and, I, and agree. The, I think the reason this is interesting is I mean, last year we almost didn't have enough teams. I mean, Ohio State got in after not winning its division. And this year we legitimately have a situation where we have two power we have three power five teams that finished twelve and 0, Georgia, Washington, and Florida State. And we have a 12 and 1, we have an 11 and 1 Texas, 11 and 1 Alabama, 11 and 1 Oregon. Um, I'm sorry, Michigan also finished undefeated, right? So, like, it's it's just we have four power five teams finished undefeated. So, theoretically, if all four of those teams win, it's pretty easy. It could be really easy, 
or it could be really tricky. It'll be really fascinating to see. Any final thoughts on championship weekend before we give out some picks here? Um, I was just trying to think here for a second. That's one, two. So would you, oh man. So like, would you leave out? So let's say all four of these, let's say Georgia wins, Michigan wins, Washington wins. They're undefeated or Washington or Oregon. Cause I, like we mentioned, I think one of those two get in no matter what. Yeah. Um, Florida state wins. And then Texas wins. Like, are you putting in? Is, do you think there's any argument to put in Texas over Florida State, or for example, Oregon, who has one loss, if they win? Or is Texas? I just on think. Now? I think teams would point to Texas. Texas has the best non-conference win. And one of the best wins, like they had the second best win of any team in the country right now, right behind Washington's win over Oregon. Texas beat Alabama, top 10 team on the road by 10 plus points. It's hard for me to see them going 12 and one and being left out. Right. So I think, I think the winner of the SEC game is in, I think the winner of the PAC 12 game is in, and I think Michigan's in there's three spots. So you have basically, you have one spot, potentially for Florida state or Texas. If both those teams win, and this is, this is if Georgia wins, if Georgia wins the sec, Michigan wins, those teams are in the winner of the PAC 12 game is in, you have one spot for Florida state or Texas. And I'm telling you, I just, I know Florida state's undefeated, but the situation has to matter, especially if they don't look good. If it's, if they beat Louisville by three or four scores, maybe we're having a different conversation. If they squeak by Louisville by less than 10 points, kind of like the way they squeak by Florida, I just I think the committee will rationalize leaving Florida State out by saying right now they're not one of the four best teams. And it would be a disservice to put them in if they're not one of the four best teams. And I'm sorry that has to be like that, but you, you lost your starting quarterback. You just did. Yeah. You know, I really hope it doesn't. Uh... Doesn't get to that. I mean, I, I see so basically what I think it comes down to, like they kind of need to do what Ohio state did to Wisconsin back in 2014. Um, that, that Ohio state team did have a loss, but you know, they JT Barrett gets hurt. Carl Jones comes in. People are like, okay, well they're now they're playing their backup quarterback. Do they deserve to be in? And they obviously they win 59 to nothing in a game. I've, Tried to erase deeply, deeply out of my memory. Um, <laughs> um, but that they ended up leapfrogging both TCU and Baylor, who also won easily that week and were ranked ahead of them. So um, I get what you're saying. I just, man, I kind of want that situation to play out just to put pressure on the committee, um, just to see what they would do. But man, oh man, I'd be so pissed if I was in Florida State. Like we went undefeated in a Power Five conference. That should almost guarantee you to get in. That would any other year would have guaranteed you to get in. Um, but just because something against out of your control, like your best player getting hurt, might cost you it. It's that's just brutal in my opinion. Right. All right. Um, well, Lucas, there's good news for you. Um, depending on how we want to grade out this week of picks. Uh, you have closed like secretariat. Um, you have beaten me in our picks for the second straight year. <laughs> you had another winning week. I went 0 and three this week and you went two and one. 
You, uh, I had the under 41 and a half in Wisconsin, Minnesota. We got 42. Still not, still not going to be okay about that, but it's okay. I had Ohio State plus three and a half at Michigan. Michigan kicked a late field goal, field goal to cover the three and a half. I was pissed about that. Utah minus 21 and a half was just the wrong pick. No Shudder Sanders. Utah only wins by six. Never going to forgive Kyle Winningham for that. Lucas, you went two and one. You had Northwestern plus six and a half at Illinois. They went outright. You had Kansas minus six. They stopped Cincinnati. You did lose out the under 44 and a half at Maryland Rutgers. For the season, Lucas, you finished 19 and 21. I finished 17, 22, and one. You finished the last four weeks of the season with a 10 and two record. Pretty, pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. We will give out two picks this week. I'm not counting them as our official standings because we didn't do that last year. You have won the competition again. Um, I don't have a comment, but if you would like to take a couple seconds, <laughs> feel free. <laughs> I mean, and then, and, not sure and then give us your first pick. I mean, I don't know if I should gloat that I've gotten 10 of my last 12 picks wrong and still finished with a losing record for the season, but <laughs> um, um, that tells you just how bad my season – and the funny thing is it completely correlates with my betting outside of the games that we picked too. It was so bad um, in, uh, in September and October. But, hey, you always want to finish strong, so I'm proud yeah. of that. Stuck through it, hit some adversity, but um, still uh, stuck to the program, stuck to the plan, adjusted a little bit, and found actually more, I think, more smarter play, or smarter plays as the year went on. But hey, and you calling it off, I'm completely fine with that. I already won, so I'm I'm all good. Stop the count, count the votes. <laughs> Stop the count. <laughs> all right, what do you? Uh, we're gonna each give away two two picks for uh, this weekend. I'll let you go first with your pick. All right, so I am going. I'm going to take an underdog here. I'm going to take Oklahoma State plus 14 and a half. Interesting. Against Texas. Probably going to regret this one. I think Texas is on a mission. I think they know they need to impress the committee, but I also think Oklahoma State is just kind of a pain in the ass to play. Um, no matter what type of talent level they're playing, I. I just see them keeping this to probably under two scores. Maybe this is a game that's you know, 34 to 24, but I think with the way they run the ball, um, I think they're going to be able to kind of keep time of possession. And like we said, I still think Quinn Ewers is still kind of working his way back from being injured. Um, I think this could be, it's the last big 12 title game. Well, last big 12 title game, as we know it with, with Texas and Oklahoma in there, I think Oklahoma state is going to come out to play because I, there's nothing Mike Gundy's going to feel better than than beating both Oklahoma and Texas in their final year in the league, especially if it costs one of them a chance for a playoff and a conference title. I think they're going to take a lot of pride in that. So give yeah. me Oklahoma State plus 14 and a half. I like that. That that was one that I actually looked at uh, pretty closely. Um, I'm going to start off with the Conference USA Championship game on Friday. Give me Liberty minus 10 and a half against New Mexico State. New Mexico State's a great story. Jerry Kill, they beat Auburn. Uh, I think they went 10-3 and three in the regular season. Um, I just think Liberty's a different level. Uh, they're 12-0. and 0. Jamie Chadwell's done an outstanding job there in his first year in Lynchburg. Um, so I'm, I just – I think Liberty wins pretty handedly here. I think they win by, you know, at least 14. So give me Liberty minus 10.5 in the Conference USA championship game. All right, your second pick, sir. 
I was going to say, I do not hate that one either. Liberty has basically ran trains for everybody that they've played Everyone this year in, in, in uh, Conference USA. In the CUSA, yeah. Um, let me see here. I am going to take the game we were talking about. Give me Georgia, minus six and a half. I think Georgia's just a better team. Betting them has actually worked out pretty great, except I didn't, luckily I didn't bet them last week against Georgia Tech. But I think they didn't play a great game. I think they're going to look to come out to – basically just show who they are. I mean, it's crazy. This is the first team since like the 1960s to have three consecutive undefeated SEC seasons um, looking for their third or uh, second straight SEC title. I think they want to prove that they are a better team than Alabama. And like I said, I think Alabama has been a little lucky this year, which there's nothing wrong with me in that. I think to go undefeated and have the success that you have, you have to be a little bit lucky, but I just feel like, um, all that luck is going to kind of hit a snag right here. So give me uh, Georgia minus six and a half um, in the SEC title. All right. Give me – see, I want to take the under 34 and a half in Michigan-Iowa, but I think Michigan has a legit chance to get there on its own. Um, so give me Louisville plus two and a half against Florida State. I think – I think one of the committee's um, worst-case scenarios will sort itself out. I think Louisville will win this game. I, tough luck for Florida State. I think that's a different team without Jordan Travis. I think they struggle to move the ball through the year. It's understandable. Um, I wonder if Louisville looked ahead a little bit against Kentucky, kind of slept walk through that game when they shouldn't have. Um, I think Jeff Braun and company rebound. I think Braun gets a, a conference championship in year one. At Louisville. So give me the Cardinal plus two and a half in the ACC championship game. I like that one. We've seen in games where Louisville gets up, they play really, really well. Um, whether that's um, uh, this game or whether it was, you know, against Notre Dame. Like you said, I think uh, la- the last week's game was probably more of an outlier than anything. So I do not hate that pick at all either. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Our final regular season episode. Um, season's gone by really fast. Lucas, uh, any final thoughts for the people before you get out of here and get some, uh, get some cough medicine in you? It was a little sad. I will say looking at the schedule for this week and we don't have, you know, uh, you know, just this plethora of games just everywhere on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night. Um, but like you said, I think this is going to be a drama filled week, um, with the amount of different scenarios that can play and, um, look, conference championship week is a whole lot of fun and it's kind of an end of an era for, you know, this is going to be the last Pac-12 title game as we know it. Um, you know, this is the last time Texas will play for a big 12 title, um, and everything like that. So, um, it's going to have a much different look, especially with, Teams competing for 12 spots next year. So um, kind of an end of an era. And I'm looking, but I am looking very much forward to this weekend slate of games. Going to be a fun one. Championship week is always fun. We have the selection show on Sunday. We'll be back with you. Same time as always uh, next week to chat through the 14 college football playoff. I'm sure we'll have a lot more coaching news and uh, maybe Lucas and I will start some off season stuff as we turn the page to December. For Lucas Rohde, I'm Ryan Baff. Lucas, thank you for listening to Running for the Roses, and we'll catch you next time.